I wanted to see is this actually something I can do? Can I actually help other people? Because I can tell myself a lot. I can tell myself, oh, you know, at this point, I have maybe 15,000 LinkedIn followers and I'm the latest, I'm the greatest. Again, imposter syndrome. I really needed to prove it to myself that I'm not an imposter. I'm not fake or I'm not a con artist or whatever. Like we tell ourselves the worst things. I just needed to prove it to myself, really. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluviance, Alex Kremer. What is up, y'all? Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast. This is your host, Alex Kremer. If this is not your first time to the show, welcome back. We are so stoked and grateful to have you. I've got an awesome guest with us today. The wonderful, the amazing, the incredibly good-looking Mr. Christian Kraus. What's up, Christian? Good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. And I think you're also very good-looking. I think it's a tough competition between you and I. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like when we logged into the first Zoom call that we had, you had this luscious flow of hair coming down and it was lion-esque. And I just had cut my hair, I think like two or three months or so ago. I used to have a man bun and I saw you. I was like, damn, that looks good. <laughs> you want to go back to like, that? I want that back. <laughs> but whenever you make that decision to cut it, it'll take you time to get back there. So it's not like you can snap a finger and go back. It takes time and patience. There's like so many different phases of growing one's hairs out and it's a journey. Let's just put it that. By the way, Christian, I pronounced your name in a very, let's call it a American dialect. How do you pronounce your way? You're from Germany. How do you pronounce it there? Yeah. So my name in German is Christian Krause. So we just pronounce it a little bit more harshly. We pronounce all of the letters very clearly in German, which is why there's all these jokes about German language that it sounds very angry. And there's a lot of funny Instagram videos that my girlfriend always sends me. So don't worry about the pronunciation. Well, it's funny because, you know, I asked you, I was like, all right, I'm saying Christian Kraus. Am I saying it right way? And you're like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> and you're like, well, you actually say it like this. I was like, all right, I'm definitely not going to attempt to say it that way. So I will give you the opportunity to pronounce your name the, the correct way. But Christian, I'm going to just kind of give a little bit more of a fuller background in terms of who you are, why you're here. For those who are tuning in for this pod, I'm assuming many of them know you. But Christian, you're the founder and the head coach of the SaaS Sales Academy. Prior to that, you were the account executive. You were also an outbound SDR, an inbound SDR at Salesforce for almost five years, I believe, something along those lines. And really what you're doing right now is you're helping SaaS sales professionals overachieve their quota, maximize their commissions. You're also a masterclass instructor for the SDRs of Germany, which is absolutely awesome. You have a newsletter, which Correct me wrong, I think your newsletter has more than like 10,000 subscribers. I'm one of those 10,000, just phenomenal content. And overall, it's cool when you get the opportunity to meet these people who you see on LinkedIn, who post, who have such great content. When you actually hop on a Zoom, you're like, oh, you're just a good, chilled, vibey person. So beyond all those great things that you have on your resume, you're just a really cool person. So first off, welcome to the show, man. It's just awesome to have you here. And tell me, how did I do on your intro? What did I miss? Is there anything that you feel called to expand on? No, I think it's a very good intro and a, and a good overall summary. 
in particular for this audience. Yeah, so basically, I somehow ended up in sales. I think everyone has a story how they ended up in sales because few people make that conscious decision. And for me, it was kind of selection by elimination. When you grow up in Germany and you study business, which I did, there's a few default options. One is to work for one of the automotive companies like BMW or Mercedes, which I tried and I didn't like. The other is to go into consulting for one of the big four companies or the big threes. Tried that, didn't really like it. And then the other option, I was like, maybe I go into investment banking. But then I talked to a guy who had been in investment banking for maybe five years and his body was already destroyed from it because he was getting no sleep. He was working 80 hour weeks. He had like back problems. So I was like, yeah, maybe not. So <laughs> sales ended up being the option where you can make really good money and you can, if you're good and you're not killing yourself, you can have quite decent work-life balance as well, which I'm big on. So I ended up in sales. So before I dive into that, so correct me wrong, are you in Barcelona right now? Is that where yes. you're at? Okay, yes, so you live in Barcelona, base. you and your girlfriend, you're from Germany and... How many other countries, I guess, within Europe have you been? Were you vagabonding there for a while or are you totally just posted up and just loving Barcelona life now? So I grew up in Germany until I was 22, 23 years old. So I went to high school in Germany and then I went to college for the first four years in Germany. Then I took a semester abroad in California, actually. And I extended my stay in the U.S. with an internship in Detroit, Michigan. So I saw two very different sides of the U.S., loved both, but very different, as you can imagine. So I was in, in the U.S. for a year. Then I did my graduate studies, so my master's degree in the Netherlands. So still quite close to home. Netherlands is directly next to Germany. Then when I joined Salesforce, that was in Ireland. So I moved to Dublin, Ireland, and that's where I met my girlfriend. And we lived there for three and a half years, almost four years throughout the pandemic. And then at some point, we decided that we didn't like it so much anymore. So Ireland is lovely. It's a beautiful place, very nice people. Just the weather after some time was getting to us. And we're the types of folks we just like a good summer. We like sitting outside, having a glass of wine. So that's why I decided to move to Barcelona. Okay. So you're in, what is that then, your fifth country that you've ever lived in then? So Germany, US, Netherlands, Ireland. Yeah, it's the fifth country that I lived permanently, yeah. Okay, okay. And I'm curious, where in California were you when you stayed there? So that was Cal State Fullerton. Okay. They go by Titans. Oh, yeah. So I grew up down in Southern California, and so a lot of my good friends went to Cal State Fullerton. So I know it very well. Know it very oh, wow. Well. <laughs> Coincidence. Where did you grow up? Uh, a place called Poway. It's like a little bit north and inland from San Diego. So I was okay. on the beach growing up every single day, surfing, all that oh, sort man. of good stuff. America's finest, huh? You know what? My locks were looking good back in those days too, I'll tell you what. San <laughs> Diego was an amazing place. Amazing place. Like almost not real. Like when you go there, you're like, this is a dream. It's interesting. It's like when I was living in New York, but now I live in Austin and I lived in Seattle for a while. It's like every single time I go back and visit Southern California and stay with my dad and eat Mexican food, eat burritos every single day, just hang on the beach, I'd always be like, you know, why don't I live here again? I was like, what, what's the reason why I ended up moving away? But we'll see if my journey ends up taking me back there. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we'll see. But okay, so back to the main theme here. You know, I think when you look at your brand, I follow you on LinkedIn. I think you have somewhere over 65,000 followers on LinkedIn or something like that, which is just a top tier percentile right there. That many people subscribing to 
your newsletter. You're putting out fantastic sales tactic and strategies. And one of the reasons I think why it's so valuable is when you look at it, it's like, I can apply that today. I have a conversation in 30 minutes with a prospect like, oh, Christian, I just saw this post. Like, I'm going to do that. (laughs) And it's so tangible right there. And a lot of people right now, I think, are trying to develop their brand. Various people, myself even included, are posting stuff about sales and tactics and strategies. How did you even get started on going on this journey? Because you were at Salesforce and you started this process here while you were there. Just take me through what your process has been to be the prominent leader, thought leader, you know, LinkedIn influencer, I guess you could say, that you are now today. Yeah. So the influencer, uh, nobody likes the term, huh? but we still use it because it's an easy term. Yeah. So what happened was, first of all, I went into sales and I went through the normal struggles that everyone goes through in the beginning. I think it took me two weeks before I could overcome my fear to pick up the phone to make calls as an SDR, which is the single thing you're getting paid for. So I went through the usual struggles, but I quickly realized that I can learn from top performers. So I can imitate the behavior of the top performer and the team. I can ask them what they do. I can look them over the shoulder, shadow them. And then in addition, I became really nerdy on sales literature. So I got all of these books, the Challenger Sale, the Sandra Sales book, Gap Selling, you name it. I could name tons of books that I just consumed. And then I tried to apply these things and I realized, wow, this stuff actually works if you apply it. So I was always really curious and I had this drive to just become really good at sales. Somehow I had this and it wasn't extrinsic that I was like, oh, I want to make more money because that's an SDR. There's a range, but it's not that big yet. So it's plus minus a few hundred bucks a month if you do well. It was more intrinsic. I was like, this is a long game. I really see myself in this profession and I really want to become great at it. Just I want to become knowledgeable. As soon as you're knowledgeable, you can also help others. You can give other people tips. So already as an SDR, when I was like, whatever, team lead, and people came over and asked me for tips or advice or help onboard someone, I always really enjoyed that. So it kind of started with this. And then I think it was late 2019 when I started following a guy called Colin Katniss. So you'll find, if you don't know him yet, Colin Katniss, you'll quickly find him on LinkedIn. Back then, he was the first or one of the first sales voices on LinkedIn that I recognized that I started following. And I really liked what he was doing. He was putting out great content. His copywriting was good. It was actionable. It was really inspiring. I was inspired by him. So I was like, ah, that would be really cool if one day I'm like a sales leader and I can post stuff and have a lot of followers. And already back then I was thinking about, yeah, there's probably ways to monetize this. And then the next person that I started following was Justin Welsh, who, if you don't know him, you're not on LinkedIn, you're always sleeping under a rock on LinkedIn. So I bought all of his courses. Then when the pandemic hit, and when we all started working from home, and when there was nobody looking at my screen, looking at what I'm doing, there was a little bit more freedom. I was like, okay, I'll do one thing. I'll do a 30-day challenge. So I started with a 30-day challenge. I want to post every day for 30 days on LinkedIn. If after 30 days, if I hate it, or if it sucks, then I can stop. But if it's good, I'm going to keep going. So now here we are, what, three and a half years later. Mm. You said a lot of great things. First off, like Colin Cadmus, I remember when he just had started posting. And it was about that 2019 timeframe, 2020. He was one of the first voices that he was posted some really great stuff. It was like tactical stuff. It was authentic. It was vulnerable. 
and there was a few other people who really did it, but I, I remember calling Cadmus and it is cool that he inspired a new wave of Sony people. And one thing that you said that really stuck out to me is you just really had a drive to become great at sales, to become a great sales professional. Like, yes, was making more money going to be important? Awesome. Yeah. Like, let's make more money. I'm absolutely down to do that. But it was more intrinsic. That was the word you said. It was intrinsic. There was something in you that said, I just crave to either read these books or get these mentors or study this sort of stuff. It's almost like because you were investing into yourself. You were developing a skill set that no matter what job you were going to be in or whatever your career path took you, like you would be great at that. And that's a massive skill set. Where did that come from? You said it's like an intrinsic drive to be good at sales. Did that just like, oh, I was just born with it. And I just was always hungry to become a better version of myself. Or did this develop through experience, through learning from people? Where'd you get that from? It's a good question. And I don't have the answer right away, but maybe we keep jabbing at this a little bit and maybe we get there together. <laughs> yeah, by um, the way, this is a part podcast, part therapy session. So just in case we yeah. really get... <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Mm, yeah, so where does this come from? So if I look back at... I think when you tackle a question like this, you just go back. You go back to your childhood and your upbringing and all of that. And one thing that's interesting that most people don't know or wouldn't think about when they think of me is... I was born in 1992, and I was born in Eastern Germany, which I think only a year and a half before I was born was still the Soviet Union, right? There was the Iron Curtain, and then I think in 1889, the wall came down, the Berlin Wall, and then a year later, Germany was reunited. And only two years after that, I was born. And if you look at my child photos, you would think that this is like Russia, cold winter, snow, the clothes we were wearing, the houses, and the economy back then was like shattered. So there was Western Germany, which was like flourishing, and it was Eastern Germany, was completely shattered after 45 years of socialism. So long story short, we grew up really poor, really poor. Compared to the standard of living that we have today, grew up extremely poor. So I think that's the first thing that kind of put a chip in my shoulder, that growing up, I wanted to do better. And then Another thing that I can think of is that my mom made extreme sacrifices for us. So my mom was a single raising mom for the most part. My parents separated when I was small, when I was like two years old. They were both students back then. And my mom was going through, let's say, several partners, several relationships that weren't successful. There was several divorces in there, but she always made extreme sacrifices in terms of her work ethic. So she became a pharma field sales representative. So she would drive in the car and she would visit doctors or hospitals and would sell drugs for companies like Pfizer or Novartis, so actually American companies, some of them that you might know. And she does this job until today. That was another thing that probably put a chip. No, I th my girlfriend told me this is not the right thing to say. A chip in your shoulder means that you're sort of, what does that mean? Can you explain that to me, what it means when you say someone has a chip in their shoulder? I mean, that's a good question. A chip on your shoulder, I would say, means you kind of like you got something to prove. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, hey. But is there a negative connotation to it or? I wouldn't say that's, I mean, sometimes it could be a negative connotation to it. But like, for the yeah. most part, I think it could go either way. When you say I had a chip on my shoulder, I say like, oh, you got something to prove. Like you want to yeah. over, like, hey, hey, maybe I was born into this situation, into this environment. But like, I know I'm destined for greatness or something along those lines. So it's something that I like it personally. Yeah. 
So I think if I go back really far, this is where some of the drivers come from. At the end of the day, sales is just a vehicle to achieve the purpose that I strongly feel. And my purpose is, number one, I want to make my mom retire very soon. And I want to be able to support her financially throughout her retirement and gift her nice things or take her on vacation. I actually, I have a sister who has a mental disability and she also needs support. She needs financial support. Same thing with her. I want to be able to gift her nice things and give her nice experiences in her life. So I think these are some very personal core drivers here. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I think it gives a greater clarity as to what your why is. I can't speak to you, but I know for my upbringing, a lot of it was, all right, go to school, get really good grades and try to be really good at sports so you can overachieve. And then you get into a really good university, go get good grades there, be involved in clubs or extracurriculars so that then you can go get a really good job. And then that really good job, the goal is to make as much money as you possibly can so that you can move up. It was like this continuous, like get better, get better so you can make more so you can fit into society really well. And so that everybody else will think that you're doing the right things. So it's like you've been deemed as you are being good to society. But I think we're in such a unique state right now within the world where a lot of people, quite frankly, are saying, fuck that. (laughs) they're like sure that's maybe what i was taught that i was supposed to do and maybe that's what the generations before me did or that's really what my parents want me to do but there's so many different things that we're prioritizing now in our life where for many people millennials and below especially you know i was also born in 1992 that like money is definitely important but it's dropped lower on the priority list I'm down to make a ton of money, absolutely. But I actually want that to be merely a byproduct of me living with a certain sense of purpose, a certain sense of fulfillment. I want to feel alive in my life. I want to feel like the unique flavor of me, whatever I was born in the world with or whatever I even embodied before I was alive, if I can bring that out, oh my God, that's what we have the opportunity to do. But what you're stating right here, it's like you have a driver for you and that driver for you is what drove you to becoming a better sales professional, is what drove you to becoming a better version of yourself, is what drove you to start developing content, all this sort of stuff. So it's just good to see that there's like a a good light that you're driving towards that's almost like it's selfless. Yeah, I don't know if it's selfless. I think selfish and selfless can sometimes be really close to each other or can sometimes be the same thing. It depends. You might hear what I say about my mom and my sister and you might be like, oh, Christian is so selfless. But at the same time, I'm also selfish because these are the people closest to me and these are the people that I love. And so I don't know if it's selfless. I would never call myself very selfless. I just recognize that for my happiness, the relationships with the people closest to me are very, very important. And they're probably much more important than what you mentioned, just money, right? Just the digits in my bank account. So first off, if you haven't read the book Green Light by Matthew McConaughey, I think there's a very large part in it where he talks about you have to be self-ish to be selfless. Like you have to really take care of yourself and those closest to you. But I want to kind of go back to the story because, I mean, you were at Salesforce for four and a half years and you took this 30-day challenge. You said, all right, you know what? I'm going for this thing. I'm going to start posting. First off, like, what did you start posting about? 
And also, what was the journey of it? Because for many people, especially if you're an individual contributor at a large tech company like you were at Salesforce, there's some imposter syndrome that could probably come up. There's some, do people even give a shit what it is I'm saying? Is it actually relevant or even like, hey, are people going to judge me and think like, oh, Christian thinks that he's the coolest guy in the world and he has so much. Did that stuff go through your brain? This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. For sure. So... I think there was a unique timing with the pandemic because we weren't in the office anymore. And we were all, depending where you are in the world, but we were in Ireland and Ireland had some pretty heavy lockdowns. So there was actually some time where my girlfriend and I, we were really isolated. Like we almost didn't see anyone else. And I think to some extent, posting on LinkedIn was also a bit therapy for me because I had this desire to express myself and I didn't see my coworkers in the office. So I couldn't talk to them the same way I could normally. But at the same time, I didn't fear the judgment as much because I wouldn't have to go into the office and face them, right? So say I posted something that was controversial or stupid or people would disagree with, I never faced it the same way I would have going into the office. I was just at home and I was looking at likes and comments. And of course, they can affect you too, but it's not the same as in person. So I think I was a little bit protected there in my comfort zone in my home office. And I think that helped open up on these posts. And in terms of coming up with content, I think I really just documented my journey. I had a good cold call with a CEO and I booked a meeting. Bam, I wrote about it. I just wrote exactly what I said and why I think it worked. So I was celebrating my wins. But the same goes, yeah, I cold called another CEO and they hung up on me or they yelled at me on the phone. I wrote about that. I shared the failures. So the ups, the downs, I just documented everything. And so in the beginning, it was a really wild writing journey. I was just writing everything down, posting it. And in the beginning, I had no data. I didn't know what copywriting style was working, what topics are resonating. I was just doing everything. But then something that Justin Welsh teaches is you listen for the signals. So when a post goes viral or when you get a lot of great comments on a post, you analyze it and you're like, why did this post work? And then you try to do more of that. Mm. So you're posting about the wins, but you're posting about the failures, which I think is one of the scarier things to be doing there. And I think, you know, there's this thought process or this feeling that on LinkedIn, we're supposed to put on this really big front that we know everything there is to know. You read somebody's posts and it's like, wow, they got it all figured out. But the fact that you're posting about your failures is oftentimes the one that it's probably the scariest to post at times, the one that you're hesitant to click the post or whatever button it is. But then once you do, there's just like a wave of support and just genuineness. Like, oh man, I'm not alone. If someone like Christian gets hung up on the phone from a cold call with the CEO, just like me, oh man, I'm not alone right there. And so now you're doing this pretty consistently and... You started your SaaS Sales Academy. Did you start that while you were still at Salesforce? I mean, you eventually turned your side gig into your full-time gig. That was kind of the journey that you ended up taking there. 
How did that all start there? You're posting on, on LinkedIn every single day. What happened from there that continued that journey? So it was a process and there was several different phases in this process. So it started with just posting. And while I was posting, I actually started becoming an internal coach at Salesforce. So I volunteered for a social selling initiative because back then what happened was, and this is funny, this is the cool thing about Dublin. So Dublin is a small town, by the way. If you haven't been to Dublin, it's not very big, but all the tech companies are there for tax purposes. So Amazon, LinkedIn, Facebook, Google, Salesforce, all of these companies that have up to a thousand or even multiple thousand employees are all in like a really small town. So everyone knows everyone sort of. And it happened that Salesforce is a big customer of LinkedIn because they have Sales Navigator license for the sales teams, which is multi-million dollar investment every year, I imagine. And they wanted to drive adoption. So they wanted to make sure that we all know how to use Sales Navigator correctly. I volunteered and I became an internal coach. So I actually coached hundreds of reps internally at Salesforce on how to use Sales Navigator the most effective way. And that's how my coaching thing started. So I discovered, hey, I'm actually good at this. I actually enjoy this. This is something I want to do. So I started coaching externally pro bono at first. So I just put out a post or a newsletter saying, hey, I'm coaching for free. You can book calls with me. Somewhere between 30 and 50 people, I don't know the exact amount, book calls with me. And I did just pro bono calls. Again, I realized I'm good at it because people are really grateful. People really appreciate it. They say, oh, I was getting tons of value from it. They gave me testimonials. As soon as I had a handful of testimonials, I started charging a little bit. I started charging 50 bucks an hour. At some point, 50 bucks became 100 bucks. And I worked up my rate. It was when I left Salesforce. So this was beginning of this year, beginning of 2023. I got a new coach. So I can also say this, Justin Michael, if you know him, I did one-on-one coaching with him and he really shattered my beliefs on what I can charge. And he gave me a system to acquire clients. Basically, within 30 days, I replicated my Salesforce income being a full-time freelance coach and consultant. And that's what I've done for the last little more than six months. And the Academy is now the latest thing. So the Academy is basically a community-based sales training and coaching program. We start with 13 founding members of our community platform where we can post, like, share, ask questions. We have weekly live calls. There's office hours. So it's the whole package now in the Academy. Mm. I find it interesting that just to start, you were offering your 30-minute sessions with you pro bono. And you offered pro bono for your first 30 to 50 sessions. Was that because you just simply wanted to say, like, can I do this? What's it like to actually have people put time on my calendar? And can I be an effective coach? Can I actually train? Or was it to also spread awareness of yourself, start developing these connections? What was the purpose of doing it for free just to get yourself out there? Yeah, I think it was both, but much more the first. And of course, spread the awareness. You know, I asked these people for testimonials and not everyone, but most of them would be willing to share. And as soon as you have these testimonials, then you can start charging Mm. because you have the social proof, you have the credibility. So then when you decided to actually leave Salesforce and do this full time, dog, that's a big jump right there. I mean, if you're at a Salesforce or you're at any company, you're getting paid a salary, you're getting paid commission if you're closing deals, you're getting insurance, you're getting a 401k. Like there's a lot of beautiful things within a W2 that bring a sense of security, that bring a sense of like, all right, this is taken care of. Was it hard to make the jump? Was this something that you're mulling on? Or you're like, oh man, should I do this? How should I do it? What am I thinking? Is it going to actually, am I going to be able to support myself? 
what did it take to actually take the jump? Yeah. So I'm a quite risk averse person. I'm not someone who, for example, one of my best friends in high school, he went to university and then after university, he went straight into entrepreneurship. He founded a company. He got investors. He's willing to take a lot more risk than me. I did a nine to five. I worked for a company for five years. So I'm not the typical like entrepreneurial spirit person. I was very much nine to five, very much security, savings and all of that, health insurance. So it was a hard decision for me to do it. And in fact, it took me one year to actually do it. So in January on February 2022, I already wanted to quit after one year of being an AE because I was making money on the side with coaching. But then I was like, ah, oh, you've only been an AE for one year. You should really have one more year experience. So I did another year. And I mean, at some point, the learning curve flattens. Of course, I'm never going to say that someone who has 10 years experience is not going to be more experienced than me with five years experience. Of course not. With every deal that you win or that you lose, with every cold call, you keep learning. However, the learning curve also flattens. So I was at a point after almost five years Salesforce where I had the feeling that it's now not going to come down to my skill set anymore, whether I can do this or not. It's going to come down to, and by the way, with skill set, I mean B2B SaaS sales skill set. It's now going to come down to an entirely new skill set that I don't have, which is being an entrepreneur managing my own time, not reporting to anyone, a ton of self-accountability, self-motivation that I need to bring up every single day. Things like copywriting, marketing, building websites, building funnels, building email automation, which is a completely new skill set that I really struggle with. I don't mind sharing this. And it's going to come down to that much more than the B2B SaaS sales skill set because I've been there five years. I think I've had a really good run for five years that the majority of people aren't as lucky or fortunate. And I think I can help a lot of people who have five years or less, or sometimes even more depends. So yeah, hope that mm. answers the question. Yeah, it definitely does. What I'm seeing more than ever before is I was just speaking at Ian Koniak's immersion this past weekend. And if you know Ian Koniak, he's been That's on the right. show before. And I obviously run immersions as well. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about for tech sales professionals, tech sales leaders, those are typically the people that come to these immersions. A lot of it's talking about, hey, what's your vision? What's your goal? Who and what are you wanting to be moving into? What are you committed to? I've been going to these retreats for a very long time, both as a participant as well as a speaker. And if you had talked to a majority of the people back in 2019, something along those lines, when you ask people what their vision was, they would say, oh, I want to become VP of sales or I want to become CRO. Everybody wanted to be a CRO. It was just like a thing. It was like that was the epitome. It's like, you know, SDR to SMBAE to mid-market to enterprise to strategic to manager to director to VP to CRO. It's like, you know, the ninth, tenth rung up there. You talk to people now, very few people want to do that any longer. In fact, a lot of people like look at the CRO and they're like, dude, I don't want that. That looks exhausting. It looks like you're working all the time and you have way too much responsibility that just causes stress and anxiety. And I think what people are actually starting to crave now more than ever is a certain sense of spaciousness a certain sense of lightness. I don't need to be under the pressure and the anxiety of grow this company so we can go public so we can make a whole bunch of money. But people are actually like, actually, I just want to live a good life. I want to be happy. 
the rise of the side gig has really supported people to say, oh, I can actually do that without having to give my life away and be working for the man, so to speak. So it's just interesting to hear your journey of going there because I think it's becoming a lot more of a common path. Whether you realize it or not, brother, it's like you're a trailblazer. There's a lot of people who have looked at your path of getting to where you are now. But I love about your journey, though, it was grounded in the fact of, man, I just want to be really good at sales. That intrinsic thing, that thing that lit you up. You're like, man, I don't know what it is, but I'm hungry. Teach me. I'm going to study it. And that then allowed you to go and do that. But I think that so many people just say, oh, I want to stop doing sales and start my own side gig. It's like, yeah, do that, but also still be great at what you're doing now because that will simply provide a really strong foundation to support you in, in going that path. Yeah, there's a few things at play, I think. So yes, I did want to become really good at sales. But then, like you said, I also wanted to live a really good life and I wanted to also be happy. And I think I can say that I've maybe never been happier in life than I am right now. It's a huge transformation from when I quit in February, I was, I don't want to say burnout because I don't think I had a clinically diagnosed burnout, which is something else, but I felt burnout. I felt really tired. I had lost the motivation to build someone else's dream. I wanted to start building my own dream. And also freedom is one of my biggest values. Just the freedom that I've enjoyed this year. I traveled, I think, over 13, 14 weeks at this point, And there's a few more weeks left to travel this year. So I'm going to be traveling in almost four months out of the year in 2023. And considering even increasing that for next year. And it allows me to see all of these wonderful places that our world has. It allows me to connect with people all over the world. Because I have an audience and there is people in my community who are in Sydney and some of them are in Toronto and some of them are in London. So I actually want to go places and I want to meet these people also in person because the community that I'm building is really, really important to me. And I think even more now than being good at sales is I want to help other people be better at sales. That's now definitely a stronger driver than just myself. Mm. One question I have for you, it's... We talked about this in our previous conversation. When you are supporting people actually being better at sales, yes, you're talking about the tactics and the strategies and the frameworks. But a lot of what you talk about too is some of the personal work, gaining clarity on one's vision, owning the authentic nature of who you are and letting that weirdness freaking fly out right there. I would love for you just to tap into that just a little bit. Like when you are teaching people, what are you actually teaching them outside of the sales content? Yeah. So this is probably a mistake, but I actually often compare myself to people like Ian Cognac, which is, why am I doing this? It's so hard. Ian is such an out-of-this-world, successful person. Why am I comparing myself to him? I'm making it so tough for myself. That's what I sometimes think. The amazing thing about Ian is he's had this stellar career, this one-in-a-million career. But if you look at what he teaches... A lot of it is actually the personal development that he had to go through the person he became, not just a salesperson, but the person he became to achieve the success that he has had. And to be honest, I think in my coaching, I haven't cracked that yet. I think I'm still in my own personal development process. 
and I'm not ready yet to coach it the way Ian would coach it. Maybe in five years, 10 years, that'll change. But right now, I'm still very much focused on the very tactical hands-on stuff. And that gets people results. But I think there's definitely an opportunity for me to grow more into that personal development and spirituality direction. But as I shared with you last week on our private call, I just started my own spiritual journey this year. So I'm still at the beginning. (laughs) I love that. That's what I'm all about right there. And it's like... I've always thought if you can combine the sales tactics and the strategies and complement that with the inner game, the mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, physical health, if you can combine those two things right there, you unlock people. You yourself become unlocked. Because yes, I can come up with the right words that I'm supposed to say, but if I'm also speaking from my heart, from my soul, I'm coming from a certain vibration, not only is it fun, people are like, damn the fuck is that person? Because they're eating and drinking something that I wanted. Yeah. So continue that path, my friend. Here's my last question for you. But before I ask my question, I just want to say this, man. I just want to acknowledge you for... You're doing it, man. You're doing it in such a powerful way. And just you're speaking your voice. I love the fact of posting both what you're doing really well at as well as posting the stuff that you're not doing really well at the authenticity and the vulnerability that comes with that just like i said you are trailblazing a path that i think a lot of people are inspired and driven by as you are developing the SaaS sales academy you're really growing out your community i just really see you as somebody who uh, i'm sure you might claim like hey there's a little bit of selfishness in it but like you are selfless you are investing into so many other people and whether or not you're having a direct conversation with them they're still feeling the transmission of you through your words or through the other people that you're connecting with who they're then connecting with and so just thank you on behalf of so many people for you going down the path because a lot of people are wanting to, to do something similar so i'll say that and here's my last question for you this show is called the rising leader podcast what do you view as the rising leader? By the way, I did not tell you I was going to ask you this question. So I know it's on the it's spot. It's always a trick question or an on-the-spot question on every podcast. What I really see, and this is also something that I hope, but I really see now as a change, as a transformation in sales leadership is leaders who really care about the human behind the number. I come from Salesforce. It's obviously wildly successful. I call it the SaaS mothership. Aaron Ross actually invented sort of the modern SaaS sales machine and implemented it at Salesforce. And it's obviously hugely competitive, hugely numbers driven. And oftentimes what I've seen is that the human component falls short. But I was very fortunate to have an amazing manager for the last, I think, three and a half years at Salesforce. His name is Tim Franconi, so shout out Tim. I'm not sure if he's going to listen to this, but if he does. We'll send it to him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe I'll send it to him and I'll tell him, go to minute 48, I'm mentioning you. Tim was really great because he always protected us and he always cared about our personal situation. I actually had a lot of fuck-ups also at Salesforce. I wasn't always good at playing politics. I sometimes opened my mouth in a room with people who are much higher than me in the hierarchy and I shouldn't have. Things like this. Or I posted stuff on LinkedIn that I shouldn't have. And I got trouble with HR. All of these things happened. But Tim actually always protected us, protected me. And he always cared about our personal situation and what's going on behind the number. And of course, if the numbers weren't okay, Tim had to do something about it because he's our first line manager. 
but he wasn't doing it with the hammer and the stick or the carrot and the stick. He actually tried to understand what's going on. So I think for rising leaders, the human component is so, so important. And that you really, if you have a team that you develop these humans, their characteristics, their habits, their mindset that you invest in them, and then the numbers will follow as a result. Mm, Well said. So good. So good right there. Well, Christian, hey man, first off, thanks for being on this. Really do. And for all those listeners who tuned in, just appreciate you being here. Christian, if people want to get a hold of you, connect with you, follow you, get involved in your community, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Christian Kraus. I think you'll easily find me. Number one. Number two, you can go to my website, christiankraus.com, and you'll find my blog, first of all, where I post a free article every single week. You'll also find my courses, the Prospecting Blueprint and the Discovery Blueprint. More than, I think, 700 students in total have completed these and left five-star reviews, so perhaps you might also find value in them. And then, yeah, lastly, I run the SaaS Sales Academy, So you can reach out directly to me if you're curious to join this community of ambitious and coachable SaaS sellers. And we can have a chat if it's a fit for you or not. Oh, yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christian. And for those who listen to this, you're like, you know what? I know somebody who should be listening to this as well. Make sure you share this episode. Make sure you hit subscribe on the Rising Leader podcast. And once again, Christian, have a wonderful day, my brother. Appreciate you. Thank you, sir. This is great. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluviance.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown over four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders on diving in deep on what really matters, but really mastering the craft and being in an incredible community. Our next Arise Immersion is coming up this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area, and make sure you grab your spot. Check out alluviance.co to apply there. Hope to see you there.